You're listening to Fight in Progress. With your hosts and stress coaches, founder of Under the Shield, Susan Simmons, and TomTheBomb.com. Fight in Progress grapples with the internal and external struggles in the daily lives of our men and women in law enforcement, the armed forces, and first responders. Tackling the tough topics and supporting those who support us. We hear you, and we're here for you. Welcome back to Under the Shield Presents Fight in Progress. Good morning, uh, or afternoon, I guess it depends on whenever you're listening. I'm your host today, Tom Hubbold, and Susan is not with us today. She is out conducting business for Under the Shield, and hopefully she'll be back here next week. Um, so today I have my lovely wife as my co-host, Tracy. Hello. <laughs> I'm not going to say y'all, y'all, and roll tide. You guys are going to miss the Alabama accent today. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And then, of course, our producer, Joel, is in studio with us today. Hi, guys. Um, today we have a guest out of, he's a retired law enforcement officer um, out of Utah, and he runs his own business now after getting out of police work. Uh, had a kind of a notorious case that he was involved in and as a lead detective. And so we brought a uh, retired detective, right, uh, Ellis Maxwell. Right, right. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> it's our pleasure. Um, yes, when I – the case that you were involved in, I, you know, I remember hearing about it when it was going on and stuff like that, but never – you know, it's, it's not in Arizona, so I wasn't, like, you know, super involved in listening to it and hearing all about it. Um, but I did, I did remember it, and then I came across a podcast on it that I was listening to some true crime stuff and uh, got interested in the case and was listening to to it. And uh, so then I was t uh, telling my wife about it, and she's like, oh, I know that that case is, and she was familiar with it. So I was like, well, maybe we should have the lead detective on, and we can kind of talk about that case some. But uh, So that's how I you know, found out about you. Normally, Tracy does all of our searching of our podcast guests, this time I came up with your name and said, go find them. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun when you're trying to track cops down who don't want to be found. <laughs> yeah, I was say, it probably wasn't too difficult to find me, was it, Tracy? No, it wasn't, yeah, luckily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some people it's pretty uh, pretty challenging for. She got to jump, jump through a bunch of hoops. So tell us, Alice, how did you get involved in being a police officer? What was, is it something that you always wanted to do or did you fall into it? What, how'd that come about? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, well, I guess reference it as a calling, I guess. Um, it's, it's something that was, uh, as far back as, as my memory, I can remember uh, going through school and, 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 you know, junior high and high school. Uh, I knew that that was the direction I wanted to go. And so I, you know, I would try to avoid staying out of the radar of the cops because <laughs> I didn't want anything to uh, prevent me from going down that road. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, you know, an in interesting one, my mom, she told her and my grandparents would always share a story when I was uh, about four or five years old. And we lived in West Valley at the time. And it wasn't West Valley, it was uh, unincorporated Salt Lake County. And uh, the house got broken into and they called the cops and the cops show up. And and they would always, they'd always tell me what I told the cops. The cops, I'd tell them, I'm like, I want to I wanna, I wanna be one of you guys one day. And the cop asked me why. He goes, because I want to chase around hippies and bikers or something <laughs> like that. And, <laughs> and I'm like... You know, it's fascinating because I look back on that now and it's like, why, why would I say those words? Right. And, uh, but it, it just goes to show how influential parents are in children. I yeah. mean, where else would have that, that, you know, that terminology came from? Exactly. You know, for a, for a four or five year old to tell the cops this, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and so bikers. Just, <laughs> hippies and bikers, uh, yeah, so um, it was always a passion of mine, a, a desire, and so I just kind of stuck with it. And yeah, that's that's 
that's how it was for me too. You know, I, I remember as a little kid, just always looking up to the police. And um, in high school, I had friends that if I hung out with for too long, I knew I was going to get in trouble. So I would hang out with my other friends for a while that I knew I wouldn't get in trouble with and, you know, kind of balance back and forth. And I mean, I remember um, when I was 16 years old, I went on a ride along with my brother-in-law who was actually a Tempe police officer where I ended up serving at. Um, And that kind of just solidified it for me. I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I kind of went the long way around, went to the military first, but yeah. Yeah. My dad, his best friend, uh, which I kind of looked up to as an uncle, he was a, a police officer. And uh, so I was exposed to that often uh, as far as seeing him in uniform and, and stuff like that. Right. Um, but as far as like ride-alongs and, and any other sort of involvement with law enforcement, I never really had it. And going through the police academy in 1995, uh, I remember going through and just thinking to myself, man, I, I'm really invested. Late. I'm, I'm investing a lot of time and money because I self-sponsored and yeah. went through. I didn't want to waste any time trying to get hired on with an agency. Right. And because uh, I just wanted to get in, do my 20 and get out and be done as, as early as I could. And uh, I remember going through the academy and kind of going, man, what if I don't? If I don't like it. <laughs> That's right. You know? I mean, I'm going to spend all this time, this money, yeah, and effort, and get in there. And, and you know, what if what if I don't like it? What if I don't care for it? And uh, so, uh, I, I I didn't know until I got into it. Yeah, yeah I guess that is a. I mean, we see that all the time. You know, where people in the academy, they're they're there, and then. Even like partway through the academy, they'll be like, okay, I'm done. This is not for me. This is not what I wanted to do, which I think is admirable. You know, don't don't waste their time or the department's time. Or if you know it's not for you, then get out when you when you realize that. But, yeah, I I, I don't remember ever having that feeling of am I going to like this? I I think in, in my mind it was this is what I'm going to do and nothing's going to stop me, you know. So. Yeah. Plus, yeah, the military experience is already drilled into you, too. Yeah, that's true. I did 10 years in, in the Air Force as military police, so it was already ingrained that you do it and you don't you don't stop doing it. You know, that's just, this is your job and that's how it is. So I don't like to be managed, <laughs> and that's why I didn't go to the military. It's like there's, I have friends going to the military, come out, and it's like, uh, what they shared with me, I was like, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could tolerate <laughs> some staff sergeant in my face yelling at me or, or yeah. telling me what I, what I can and can't do. And, and, uh, you know, it's kind of similar in police work, right? Yeah. Um, very structured. Uh, there's, there's, a an alignment there with the way the military is structured. And, uh, so that was probably the part of the police work that I was just like, I don't know, uh, you know, going through the police academy and the interactions with the, the, the instructors and the people and their, their personalities, and, right. uh, stuff like that. I, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, that the, the structure of the paramilitary structure for the PDs is, is, uh, sometimes hard for some people. That's for sure. Uh, to me, I didn't think anything of it after being in the military and I was like, yeah, it's kind of no. similar. It's a little, little less than what the military is, but you know, so wasn't, wasn't too bad. Yeah. So, what, uh, what are the different job functions that you did as a police officer? Uh, wow, uh, I did quite a few different assignments. Um, you know, my goal going into police work was to do twenty years and get out, and in that twenty years, do as many different assignments that I could do. Uh, so that that 20 years went by quick and, uh, and I didn't get pigeonholed in, in a a particular area and, uh, get burned out. So that was kind of my goal. Um, well, obviously patrol and, uh, I did patrol. My first investigation stint was, uh, an SRO in high school and, uh, I quickly became a crisis and crisis negotiator. 
and uh, was the the team lead for for our agency up until I retired. Uh, so that was always my my secondary as far as secondary assignments. Uh, let's see. From SRO, I went to child sex offenses and child abuse, and um, I did a, a few months in narcotics and really didn't care for it. Um, and then I did I did about a year with uh, the state attorney general's office in Internet Crimes Against Children. Uh, after about a year of that, um, I got out. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't a fan of a, of a couple of things. Some of it was administrative. Um, and and uh, and those just have to be tough investigations too. They, they are, they are. Uh, they yeah yeah they're difficult. Um, well, not difficult to investigate, but uh, difficult to swallow. Right. You know when you see uh, you know, an adult. How would I say it? Engage with an infant uh, that can be uh, that can kind of flip a switch right. with somebody to maybe not want to be a cop anymore and <laughs> go do something else. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I was like, yeah, I think I probably ought to check out of this one and, and do something else. And did you have a family at the time? Oh, certainly. Yeah, so yeah, that makes I had, it. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I had kids going through police work. Uh, yeah, and well, two daughters. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then, uh, let's see, then I went into, did major, major crimes for about five years. And then after I left major crimes, I kind of created a niche for myself and uh, I, I developed and implemented a college internship program for the agency. And uh, so I kind of managed that and then uh, revamped our sex offender compliance program uh, aligned with, for our city, but in line with the state of Utah. Hmm. And so I managed it as well. And then uh, the Powell case was, was always there up until, until I left. And so I kind of had that as well. So the 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 Powell case that you mentioned that's the Susan Powell uh, case where she went missing um, was that when you were in major crimes that you yes. were involved in that and how long were you yes. in major crimes for I went into major crimes in 2008 okay was when I was in there and I came out around 2013 yeah. so you were only on what less a year or so before the Susan Powell case then on that as when you got uh, in major crimes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He yeah. has all this yeah, experience prior. and all this stuff you did for years. And that one case just, do, you, do people just define you by that one case? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Um, I guess, I don't know, but you know, to me, it was, it was just, it was another case just as, as the, my other cases, obviously, uh, I had a stronger relationship and a longer relationship <laughs> with that particular case because uh, that case went from, you know, 2009, well, December of 2009 until essentially when I retired, but uh, uh, pretty much came to an end and a close in around early 2013, I want to say. Yeah. 2012, after uh, Michael Powell. Had committed suicide. Well, that was kind of kind of the end of it there, and then that's when we went into you know redaction mode, and everybody in the country and you know they wanted a copy of the case. So. <laughs> yeah, that that was a crazy case. So, um, you so it happened like on what was it Christmas Eve? Is that when? No, I mean, no it was just it was a few just days early December. A few days before that, though, right? Early December. Oh, okay. Early December. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Susan Powell goes missing, and 
I, you know, I, I first listened to a podcast about it on a true crime thing that I was listening to. And um, it was kind of a crazy thing. It was wintertime in Utah, um, snowing, and Susan's husband, uh, his name was Josh. Josh, he decides to take his kids out camping like at midnight in with a s- severe winter storm going on and... I mean, that was just crazy in itself. I mean, when you first were finally able to talk to him, that had to have been kind of like, yeah, I'm calling BS on that one. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, December 7th, 2009, uh, we did have a pretty significant uh, winter storm that was coming in from the west. And... Uh, yeah, he uh, he chose to pack up his kids and and get in their minivan and go out to the West Desert and camp, <laughs> quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, yeah. At, at midnight, yeah, no middle, less. Middle, yeah, the middle middle of the night, um, and uh, on a Sunday. Yeah, I I can't believe that there would be too many mothers in this world that would say, "Yeah, go ahead and take the boys out and with the <laughs> snowstorm coming." And yeah, I'm fine with that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> um, and then he didn't even report her missing. Wasn't it a family member? How did it like unfold as far as when you got involved and found out about it? Yeah, so that would have been yeah Monday morning. Um, and uh, there was, uh, yeah, so so he gets up, leaves Sunday, Sunday night into early Monday morning. And uh, the kids don't show up for daycare Monday yeah. morning. So the daycare provider uh, sees the abnormal, uh, the abnormality, or, yeah, he, he doesn't, she's like, wait, where's the kids? Right? Yeah, they're she here every day. Susan. Yeah. Haven't heard from Josh, and so she she starts making phone calls, and and Susan's phone goes to voicemail. Josh's phone goes to voicemail, so she goes down the emergency contact list and eventually reaches, I believe, uh, Josh's mom, and uh, it's like, hey, have you heard from Josh or Susan? And uh, they had not, and so they were originally the first ones to show up at the uh, Powell residence, right. uh, Josh's mom and sister. And so they discover everything's all locked up, doors locked, all that stuff. So then they call the cops and the you know, patrol shows up and, and uh, they eventually uh, break a window to gain access into the residence. And, and that's when they discover the, the residence was not occupied and and then investigations gets notified and i'm sitting at my desk working on uh, working on a, a bank robbery case and the sergeant comes over and is like hey I need you to go out and help patrol on a missing family and i was just like wait a minute man i'm not on call yeah the on calls <laughs> the on calls on a <clears throat> On a, on, a, on a dead body case right now. Yeah, so, so you're stuck with it. <laughs> so that's how I ended up with that, yeah. Yeah, that's... that's... And uh, so I was like, okay. Um, so, you know, I did some preliminary stuff uh, on the computer with... You know, after I reached out to the patrolman and got uh, the the names and did some preliminary stuff just to kind of see if I could get a, a background on, on, these, on this family. Right what kind of involvement we've had with them in the past and yeah, you know, just kind of, you know how it is, just right. kind of see what that looks like. And there wasn't anything, there wasn't anything <laughs> suspicious. There was nothing that's like stood out. It's like, oh, this is, yeah, probably just went on vacation and tell right. anybody. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe a family emergency happened and they left town and haven't talked to the local, you know, people here or something. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, because I'm in mean, the background, you know, running the background on them. You can, you know, they were from uh, both of them were from out of state. They weren't Utah natives. Right. 
and I could see that they were out of Washington, so it's like, oh, well, they probably just probably went north for for the holidays. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> then you get inside the house, and some things just don't look right, huh? Um, you know, the house was. I don't. The house wasn't really like you walk in and you're just like, oh wow, there's there was a problem here. Right. It wasn't like that. Right, but um, like you, her I purse remember, is still was, there. Not you know, not being right. Yeah, everything's there in the purse. It's like, yeah. why would you take I mean, a that, purse? Yeah, I thought there yeah, was something that's... with fans running on a couch, or that's why I wasn't sure. Well, yeah, I mean, there was. <laughs> I mean, I guess is, is what I'm saying is that when you, you go through this house, there's not this, uh, it doesn't look like there, there was any sort of physical altercation. Right. There's not this, this you know, bloody crimes. Exactly. Nothing real uh, obvious. Like, yeah, 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 there's nothing that's like, yeah, you do have you know, box fans sitting up <laughs> blowing towards uh, the carpet and the couch and you have her purse and, and, uh, and, and, you know, the vacuum and steam cleaners kind of sitting out. And, you know, there, there's those things that are, that are obviously questionable, yeah. but uh, you know, not some, and the, you know, and there was the, a little bit of blood, like we're talking a tiny, yeah. tiny amount of blood which wasn't even discovered uh, the day that we first went in there. Uh, it was just, it was that small and, and Cause weren't there only like, like little specks? Between the couch. Yeah, they're just like, like, a, like at the end of your pen, your pen. Yeah. Um, just droplets, tiny droplets. And, um, and, and then it was just in between the, uh, uh, the couch and like an end table. Right. right on some tile that butted up next to the carpet of the, the front room right by the entryway there. So, uh, you know, I think some people early or once the information started getting out going, how, how do they miss this blood? How do they miss this crime scene? <laughs> yeah, but there wasn't yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. I know I, I watched a, a little um, documentary about it on, on, on TV too. And I, I remember seeing the little circles around the little blood spots. I'm like, yeah, those are pretty small. I could see how you wouldn't just initially see that. It's not like a, you know, some of the crime scenes where, oh yeah, someone's been killed here or it looks like somebody has been killed here. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Yeah. It yeah. was kind of weird, you know, like, um, you're, you're trying to get a hold of Josh and he's not answering the phone. Um, and then, uh, I guess it was a friend of Susan's that actually said that she just talked to him, comes up to your car and lets you know, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Where's he at? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is that's several hours, uh, several hours later. And um yeah, I I've up to that point I've called you know, Josh's phone a number of times, left voicemails, uh no answers. I've I've spoken with his father, I've spoken with other family members. And her name was Joe Obama, uh, and she was a, the friend of, of Susan's that was at the residence uh, the day before, right. helping her with the, the crochet mess. Um, and so she was there, and, and yeah, I'm in my I'm in my, my car, kind of working on things, making these phone calls, and she comes up and kind of taps on my my window, I roll it down, and. Uh, she was like, Hey, I, I just talked to Josh. And I'm like, what? She's <laughs> like, yeah, I just, I just, <laughs> just talked to him. And I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know what to think. I don't know if, right. <laughs> if she's telling me the truth or if she's uh, seeking some <laughs> sort of attention. Um, you know, I've been in police work for some point at some point at this time. Right. And so, uh, you're not just quick to jump on the uh, trust wagon or right. leave wagon and be like, okay, yeah, you bet, let's go. Um, and so she kind of shared some of the details. And, uh, and yeah, so the way that that came about is her son is the one 
that actually uh, decided to call Josh's phone. And, and he must have turned his phone on just at that moment. And, um, and he, he took the call and then uh, got, he, he didn't, he's, Josh answered and, and the young man just hung up the phone and told his mom. <laughs> his mom's like, oh, you hung up? So she calls him and, and yeah, Josh, Nimrod answers the phone. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah. Nothing and, going on uh, here. <laughs> so, yeah. So he makes some, you know, he made some, uh, some statement to her that, you know, he's just driving around, you know, uh, the city with the boys and Susan's at work. And, and she tells him, you know, you need to come home. There's all these cops here, but he thinks y'all are missing. And right. so she's, uh, and, and and I'm sure, and I believe he was probably, if I remember his phone records, he would, he had less listened to his voicemails prior to taking her call. So he already knew <laughs> from my voicemail. Right. And then, you know, all of, you know, his mom, his sister. Yeah. Yeah. He already, he already knew what was going on. Yeah. His voicemail had to be pretty full at that time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, for sure. Yeah, that's, yeah, and then when you finally get him on the phone and you tell him that he needs to come back, doesn't he, like, drive around for a little while longer? He's got to go feed the boys, and he's oh, just, yeah. like, not worried about anything. Mm-mm. No. <laughs> no, no, he's not. No, we, we uh, you know, his, his mom and his uh, sister interrupted his plan. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he had this... Uh, he had this plan, uh, made up in his head and, um, you know, Josh was, you know, he was a smart guy. Yeah. He was a very smart guy. Um, and he did make some, some mistakes, but, uh, he, the one thing he could not do is he couldn't deviate from his plan Hmm. regardless of who knew what. He was not going to deviate from his plan. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, me trying to get him to come home, you know, I'm sure he was driving around the valley trying to think, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to navigate this now? Right. Because now his, his whole plan's been foiled. Right. Yeah. There was so, a big wrench thrown in the middle of his plan. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. So when he eventually makes it home, uh, and we kind of, he, he was pretty resistant, uh, and uh, but you know we got him to to agree to to go down to our our substation so we could uh, sit and, and talk with him and get try to get some answers. But uh, yeah, that was my that was my first interaction with him, and um, it was not uh, what would I say? It wasn't acceptable. It wasn't. Um, that just it just wasn't good you know i have never up to that point i think i'd only dealt with one other person in my career that uh was a legitimate sociopath and mm-hmm. interviewing them and conversing with them uh that's, that's a whole different ballgame whole different ballgame yeah i thought it was funny you know, you're asking all the right questions, and he's answering, but he's giving real short answers. He's not giving you any extra. I mean, he doesn't elaborate on anything when you're talking to him. Um, it's just, yeah, he's he's definitely trying to follow his script of his plan, I think, you know, when you're talking to him. Yeah, certainly. I mean, uh, my opinion is he had done his homework. Um, he had looked at... Uh, and, and reviewed and or researched or watched uh, you know previous murder cases and and uh, you know where people made mistakes right and um, you know he was very very brilliant in that sense to maintain that discipline and not be broke down and not be persuaded or uh, you know, any of those tactics that you would take in, in interviewing, um, he just he just maintained right. uh, his stance and, and a lot of answers or I don't know, I don't remember, or just no answer at all. 
And so when you get those responses, it makes it really, really challenging to, you know, try to pin somebody up against the wall a little bit or kind of give them a little bit more pressure. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, even more so when, um, you know, you, you, it, it's it's really wild, you know, that this, this whole case that led me to go get my bachelor's in psychology so that I can better <laughs> understand these types of individuals. Yeah. You know, well, and then um, it didn't help that the kids were so young. You couldn't really get a lot of information out of the kids because they were tiny at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, they Braden didn't. at the time was, I think, two. Yeah. Two or three. And, and Charlie was four or five yeah i know charlie had made some kind of comment um about that his mom was there camping with them or something like that but that she didn't come home she stayed like where the flowers were or some kind of crazy thing you know but uh, you know a four or five year old that's kind of hard to to do anything with that information you know yeah it's challenging because there is i i do believe that there is some truth to um, toddlers at that age and, and right. the stories that they share, there's, there's certainly some truth there, but there's also, uh, uh, the, the, well, the problem becomes is, is a sense of time, mm-hmm. right? Because they, you know, toddlers, they don't have no sense of time. Exactly. Yeah. And this could so, have been you know, six months ago. It could have been yesterday. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the statements made, uh, you know, he, he had mentioned, oh, Lord, it's been a long minute since I've listened to that. But um, I think he mentioned something about dinosaurs and flowers oh, yeah. and flying and right. and all different things. And, and uh, you know, they've been out to uh, an area that's called uh, Vernal in Utah. It's uh, east, uh, eastern part of Utah. And uh, that's where the Dinosaur National Park is. And, right. and I verified that they'd been out there and they'd been out to the West Desert uh, before in the past. I want to say the summer prior. Um, and so, and there's not going to be pretty flowers out there in the winter. <laughs> that's right. Right. Yeah. But if that's what his reference is for that area. Right. Then that's maybe how he references it was with the pretty flowers yeah. and the crystals and stuff like that. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely not enough to prosecute somebody. Right. Right. That's the, everything don't have a body. It's all circumstantial. What are some of the highlights? So of information that you did have that you found, like from Susan had left some things or like, what are some of the things that you, you did have to kind of work off of? To try to. Yeah. yeah. Criminally charged. Well, I mean, the, my opinion, the uh, biggest piece of circumstantial evidence was, uh, quote unquote, her will and testament that she had <laughs> right. and had um, <laughs> locked in a safe deposit box. Yeah. And uh, she was the only one that had a key that was at her place of employment. And this document was handwritten, so uh, and signed, and uh, signature matched her signature and her driver's license. The penmanship matched the penmanship in all of her journals. And it was folded all nice and pretty and stapled, so it wasn't tampered with. Right. Uh, that was that was the telling piece of, of circumstantial evidence. Now the problem when I presented that to the district attorney's office is that it's considered hearsay in the state of Utah. Wow. And which uh, uh, was ludicrous to me, um, one. And two, uh, there's case law that ironically, well, I don't know if it's necessarily case law, but it's out of Illinois. And ironically, uh, it was a cop that murdered his wives, his wives, mm-hmm. um, he killed more than one. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the only one that he was, that I'm aware of that he was convicted on at that time was 
a piece of evidence, circumstantial evidence that was similar to this, where she had written down this information. And uh, Illinois was able to uh, get that admitted, and they were able to prosecute him on it. Hmm. So when I brought that up with the uh, with the uh, the attorney general, or not the attorney generals, but the the, the uh, prosecutors, district district attorney's yeah. office, uh, they're like, ah, circumstantial. We're not going to be able to get that admitted, and. Uh, yeah, because but I was still pretty firm on it, and I I kind of fought with them a little bit um, early, but uh, they because of the Elizabeth Smart case, right, and her disappearance, uh, and then returning, uh, they did not want to and would not uh, even consider screening charges against him until uh, twelve months had passed. Oh, okay. So um, I figured, okay. Just, Fair enough. Yeah, we'll play this I mean, out. We're not, uh, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not out anything, right? right? Okay, so that gives us, uh, you know, at that at that time, you're probably looking, uh, we're probably two, three, four months into the investigation. So yeah. it's like, okay, well, we just need to just wait this out until uh, January, February, March of of uh, 2011, and. Uh, that gives us time to look for Susan and right. to cross our T's, dot our I's, and uh, do the searches and look under every rock and in stones and trees and everywhere else, and uh, see if we come up with a body. Because obviously, if we have the body, then, right. then it's a, a slam dunk. But uh, without, uh, it's not. And so I figured we would probably. I could. I could probably. Uh, get them to, to somehow get that hearsay circumstantial evidence admitted and, and prosecute them on it if we had a real solid case. Yeah, you know, it was funny because even in that her last will and testament thing that you're talking about, she uh, she had also written in there that um, something to the effect that if something happens to me, you know, uh, even if it looks like an accident, you know, it's it's not, you know, to basically check into Josh, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of crazy. Um, there was, uh, a, she also had made a videotape documenting all their possessions, which I thought was kind of strange. I didn't understand that, why she was documenting her possessions. That was, um, that was in the event that we had some sort of catastrophic event, uh, like an earthquake or uh, okay. uh, something in that nature. Um, I, I believe, because I've, I watched that video over and over and over many <laughs> times. And uh, from what I can recall is my memory. I think that's kind of where she was kind of, where it was geared towards us. Like, mm -hmm. hey, these are our assets in the event that something was to happen. Yeah, I also, um, but I, really, who does that? Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if it was kind of a subconscious act, but wasn't she wasn't sure how to really label it? Yeah, right? yeah. I, I also thought that you know if she was thinking about on the terms of getting a divorce that she wanted to document everything mm -hmm. so that Josh couldn't come back and say no, we don't have that stuff and all that kind of you know who knows. But that was a possibility yeah. too. You know, yeah. it's kind of you guys had some kind of some strange things with the family, Josh's family. I mean, his dad, Stephen Powell, was, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe him. He, that guy was, he is a character. I mean, he's got some some real issues. I'm sure when yeah, you start was, looking at him, you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was our biggest red herring Yeah, uh, for, for this case and for a prosecution. So uh we had to investigate him uh, top to bottom and either prove that he was responsible participated or had no knowledge and wasn't involved at all yeah uh, otherwise um i could clearly see uh i could clearly see josh giving up his dad as a scapegoat because what was it um the gal back east um gosh her name has slipped my mind 
but she threw her dad under the bus uh, with her. She had murdered her children, her child, and uh, and she tried to toss her dad under the bus for being responsible for that, and she got acquitted. Wow. And uh, so, and, and it was a high-profile case too. And maybe her name will come to me. Um, oh, at Casey some point, Anthony. But I, I, Casey Anthony. Casey yep. Anthony. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I was familiar with that case, and uh, I was like, "Whoa, uh, yeah, we, I definitely, you know." Because the thing is, is it, now everything we're talking and, and all the things that were done in this case, it wasn't just me. Like there was no way oh, right. I could I could do everything right. So I mean, we had at times twenty, thirty uh, other law enforcement personnel on this case, right. and, and I think the lowest number that we ever had uh, prior to. Uh, Josh murdering the kids and and Michael committing suicide. We were probably we probably had a team of at least probably the lowest was seven, yeah. and uh, and so there was a lot of people um, involved and, and and really contributed contributed in a positive fashion into this case um, and a lot of collaboration. Uh, but I, as the lead detective, I. <laughs> All eyes are on me, man. That's right. And uh, <laughs> when this thing goes to court, I'm the one that's going to be sitting on that stand, having to uh, respond in to to questions and, and this and that of work that either I did do or I didn't do or yeah. some somebody else had done. And um, yeah, so I mean, I'm the one that's going to. I'm the one that's going to lose my job. I'm the one that's going to end up with a bad reputation. Right. All I'm the, the pressure's on gonna, you. Everything's on me, man. Yeah. This is a this is a make or break your career. Uh, and, and I was familiar with that uh, because when I was going through the academy, uh, you know, I watched, or before the academy, I can't remember exactly, but I watched the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm -hmm. And I watched that detective and, and what he went through. And uh, so... You know, I wasn't that naive. I was young going into major crimes. I, I'd only been there a year. But, uh, you know, that doesn't mean shit. Right. Um, because, you know, prior to that, I, I had, what, 13 years on. And I'd been on a number of, of officer-involved shootings and homicides, but in a different capacity. Right. Um, but, but, yeah, so I had to uh, uh, kind of make sure that uh um that things were just aligned and and uh to try to it's wild man you want to protect your agency but then you yeah. can protect yourself but then you want to solve this case because now you've got <laughs> this family that's missing you know right their, their and, daughter and and you have to is, be insane right yeah you and you have to be like involved in some degree in everything that happens in that case in that investigation you got to know what everybody else is doing you got to be able to summarize all their stuff i mean it's it's a lot of work on you guys and then you know like you said you have 30 people on the case helping and i mean you guys are pulled all over the state there i mean you guys are searching all those mine shafts and i mean you guys did a lot of work trying to locate her I mean, you did do a lot of work. There's a lot of twists and turns and, like you said, all the manpower and searching. And then, like you said, then it's a media circus. Everyone's doing already, jumping on without all the facts, the documentaries yeah. and the media. And and then he leaves the state. And you want to just give a brief overview of what happens when he left and went up to Washington? Yeah, that's just that's one of those twists and turns, man. It was uh, it was pretty wild. Yeah, when he left and went to Washington, um, and then you know and moved up there, uh, that really kind of changed uh, a lot in the investigation because now we're what eight nine hundred miles. I don't know how many miles, thirteen hundred miles yeah. away. We're twelve hours away from where he's living. And uh, we're a municipal agency. We're not a federal agency. Right. So it's not like uh, we can just waltz into uh, <laughs> the state of Washington and uh, <laughs> Puyallup County or yeah, Puyallup County and be like, hey, 
we're, we're doing this. And right. It don't work that way. So, yeah. and their well, laws are different laws. than they are in Utah. And yep. So, yep. yeah. And some on a good, right. some on a good note, yeah. some not, not so good. You know, like we had to, we had to, uh, retain a search warrant just to take the kids uh, to, um, go interview them. Right. Um, we had to, uh, you know, state of Utah is a one party consent, uh, as far as recording where Washington is a two party consent. So we had to go through, jump through a lot of uh, legal hoops there to, to be able to, uh, do the things that we did up there. Right. Uh, covertly and um and then you know for an agency uh the expenses of of sending you know a number of detectives up there to do surveillance and to follow up on this and follow up on that and interview this person uh so yeah it was uh it was a wonderful experience and uh, as far as interagency uh, investigation because you had West Valley, you had Pierce County, you had Puyallup. Uh, we, had, we utilized uh, federal agencies, mm -hmm. um, you know, the ATF up there and, you know, for resources. And so, uh, but yeah, it made it really challenging. Um, but the beautiful thing that came out of that, that wouldn't, wouldn't and didn't happen in the state of Utah is the state of Washington took the kids. Right. And place them in the Cox's, uh, in, in the Cox's care. And, uh, man, I was jazzed about that. <laughs> I, I was, I was really jazzed about it because then, um, you know, we could put some more pressure on Josh. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and try to get him to break, try to get him to confide into somebody or, uh, you know, something to that nature so that we could, get that omission or, or confession or something more. Yeah. Cause he was pretty adamant. He didn't want the Cox family to have any dealings with the boys. You know, he, he was like, he didn't want them raised in the church. He was, yeah, he's, he had some issues with the Cox family. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, then, yeah. and I guess it was good and bad with the supervised visits that he was allowed to have. I just think that they should have had, the supervised visits someplace other than his own house. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was pretty frustrating. Um, but, uh, again, like I said, when you're, when you're in one state and, and trying to investigate a case where you're, um, your suspects in another, another state, uh, man, you don't really have <laughs> yeah. a whole lot of say in, 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 in some decisions. And you know, when it comes down to judges making decisions, um, you know, you don't have no say there anyways, right. uh, but, uh, yeah, that particular judge that chose to allow him to have supervised visit at his home, uh, it's really sad. Um, you know, it should have been, it should have maintained at, uh, at a mutual place in a public place mm -hmm. and, you know, in, in the facility that it was at, but the reason why it got moved is because, People were complaining. They felt uncomfortable and this and that. And, and uh, you know, it's unfortunate. Uh, and as we all know, judges can't really be held accountable. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. But, you know, who's to say that uh, Josh wouldn't have done something more crazy like like some terrorists and going there with some sort yeah. of homemade bomb. And, right. and not only would have we lost Josh and the two boys, but we would have lost some more innocent people. Right. He could have been so that active shooter type situation. I mean, yeah, I don't know that he would have, I don't know if he would have the uh, ability to do that, but uh, I could see him doing something more like, like a bomb yeah. or, or something like that. More cowardly. Yeah, that's true. Not, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, sad so, when, uh, I mean, I can't imagine that, um, I guess, I think she was like CPS worker, that she was taking the boys over there that morning for the supervised visit, and I can't imagine what she went through, you know, I mean, she's smelling gas, and, and Josh just scoops those boys up in the house and shuts the door in, in her face, and 
Man, she, when that house blew up, she had to just been devastated. Yeah, yeah it's, I, I really, really feel bad for her. And I hope uh, that she's, she's found peace with that and has moved forward. But um, yeah, it was an awful, awful situation for her. And um, again, it just uh, it circles back to our system. Um, you know, regardless of the position that he was in, why are we, we, we ought to be, we ought to be handling situations like that differently. Yeah. Supervised visits are traditionally contracted out third parties that are not mm -hmm. part of the government. And, um, and then we just let them kind of do what they do. And it's, it's just, it's, it's just wild. Yeah. It's, it's just unfortunate. So how long after Josh killed the boys and himself, did you guys continue um, actively on this case, you know, with all your resources that you guys were doing? Uh, we still, yeah, we still continued because though Josh was our primary, <clears throat> Michael was our secondary and, and Stephen Powell as well. Yeah. So um, I was, I was and, and still convinced that uh, Stephen didn't have <clears throat> pardon me um much knowledge as far as her her disappearance and, and specifically what josh had done i felt that uh, michael had more knowledge and yeah. michael would have been um he would have been a, a, a great asset as far as uh, a witness or being able to testify to what exactly happened and even uh provide us a location where Susan was. Right. Um, I don't have anything to really, you know, support that um, other than um, some, some, some minor evidence and, and his behaviorisms and, yeah. and stuff like that, because we, we, you know, we interacted with, with Michael on a, on a couple of occasions. So, um, I felt, and, and Josh and Michael were really, really close. So if there was anybody that Josh was going to confide in, it was going to be Michael. Yeah. Yeah. That was, the, so I, that was a tough so we case. You know, I mean, you, you guys were turning over every stone, you know, looking underneath it for anything. And it just, mm -hmm. it's sad that she's never been found to this day and that her parents don't have that chance to you know to actually bury her and have a you know a, a site where they can go pay their respects to her and you know that's closure that that family needs and it's sad that they were never offered that yeah yeah it is awful it is sad and um and it's really uh um it's a is it a, it's just a, it's just an awful situation in that regard mm -hmm. um and uh yeah i mean you know we we did we did I, that's why i was comfortable in in confidence um and and you know any of the the social media posts or or posts on news articles or stories or anything like that that's negative it doesn't bother me one bit right. because you know i know exactly what we did <laughs> and i know the effort that we put into it and um and it was really it was it was a reality check man you know when you get into police work you most of the times you get in you get these cases regardless if it's a robbery case or a vehicle homicide case uh, or whatever you're most of the times you, you find the person responsible, you, right. you, you discover the evidence you need and, and you're able to get that prosecution and maybe you don't get the prosecution, but you, you did what you had, you could right. do. Exactly. You have everything. And, and in this particular case, mm -mm. yeah, nope. And, yeah. That's, uh, that's tough. It's as like, a... you, know, you, you cannot win them all. That's right. That's for <laughs> as sure. As much as you think you can, you cannot. <laughs> So how many years of your professional life did that consume, that case? Well, I would say uh, my professional career. Right. 
2009 to the day I retired. <laughs> yeah, and that was in 2016. That's a that's no, a... <laughs> no. Yeah, and I and I say I say 2016 because um, the the very very last thing I did on my on my last day was I, I, I to take uh, all of the files that I had locked in a in a safe or cabinet of my desk, I took all that and went booked it into evidence. Yeah. And that was the last thing I, that was the last thing I did. And, and then, uh, that was it. And it was over as far as my professional career. Now, as far as the case itself, really, truly consuming, uh, my time and, and my mind, uh, you know, that would be, you know, to uh, December 7, 2009, up until uh, 2012, when Michael committed suicide. Yeah. Once he committed suicide, um, when it was done, it was done there yeah. because Stephen Powell, he he didn't have anything to give us, and if he did, he's not going to give it to us. Right. And so, um, yeah, you 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 yeah. exhausted all your leads at that. And point. Michael committed suicide too, right? The brother. Yeah, that's what he's talking yeah. about. Oh, yeah, and the dad, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. So, yeah. 2016, you retire and say, "I'm now. I'm going to go be a real person again." <laughs> yeah. So, what do you do to decompress from all that, and yeah. what are you doing now? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. So, I, I took I took a, almost about a full year off and just kind of de- decompressed from 20 years of of that. And um, as far as the Powell case, I was already at peace with it. And uh, I was at peace with everything, um, I, and uh, so it was just kind of decompressing and and, and uh, from anything that may have been lingering uh, that I wasn't aware of, and um, yeah, just kind of try to find myself and who I was uh, as far as not being a detective right. and being attached to this pal case and stuff like that, and. Um, so yeah, that was nice. And then uh, I started up uh, my my private investigation agency, uh, Shield Balance, in March of 2017. And uh, since then, it's just been uh, a work in progress. Um, <laughs> the one thing that I did identify uh, after I did leave police work it was I still had a passion and a desire to help others. Right. Um, and uh and and that's my life purpose and i identified that and but i had to identify okay well how how am i going to help others Mm -hmm. and so and and what is important to me and uh and and what i think is important for society and um my focus is is uh relationship dynamics and abuse um, okay. We have way too many murder suicides and, and domestic murders mm-hmm. in this country, and um, I personally don't think that uh, we do enough uh, on the on the in the in the court system side of things to to prevent those. And uh, as we, as you know, being a police officer, uh, there's only so much the 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 police can do right there's only so much a victim advocate can do and uh and then we already know how the uh district attorneys and stuff <laughs> like that how they operate and our judges um but uh i felt that a private investigator with the background that i have um can be a huge asset to somebody that's in an abusive relationship right because i know what the cops need to do I know what the advocates need to do. I know what the attorneys need to do. And uh, and I know what they need. And I also know what the victims and survivors need as well. And um, so so that's kind of where uh, kind of show balance kind of has kind of evolved to. Um, I'm not really quite where I want to be with it. Um, I want it to be much bigger than what it is. Um, and I'm eventually I'll get there. 
but I think it takes time of refining it and, right. and dialing it in. And uh, so, yeah, so I, I, I don't do a whole lot, but, um, you know, I do get, uh, you know, I do consult and, and, and life coach and offer support and um, to victims and survivors uh, to, to help them escape uh, these toxic relationships. Yeah, that's good. I, I enjoy that. It gives me some gratification mm-hmm. to, to see if we can help them. And then on the other side of it, uh, I, I, I do uh, I'll have a number of clients that do pre-employment backgrounds. I enjoy doing that uh, right. because, you know, uh, take it to the other step of helping others is these employers, they uh, in doing backgrounds, not just on pre-employment, but relationship backgrounds. I'm Mm -hmm. always trying to push uh, professional backgrounds because, uh, you know, here we are, we dump money into auto insurance, life insurance, medical insurance, right. And then uh, these folks, they get engaged in these, these personal relationships and they're not investing in themselves or their business to do a background on whoever they're getting in bed with, um, <laughs> whether if that's literally or getting <laughs> right. into a partnership, uh, you know, investing or something. And so, um, I've, I've worked a number of cases that, uh, you know, people have lost money because they invested with the wrong person or, sure. um, you know, they hired the wrong person. Um, or, uh, and a matter of fact, I got a call yesterday and client's supposed to call me. Um, you know, she's dating this person has been for a couple of months now. And, uh, but she, she wants to know a little bit more about them. You know, people aren't right. always, people don't always carry truth exactly. and speak truth. Yeah. And so there's, you know, sometimes a hidden agenda and, um, and usually you can find those red flags. Yeah. And so, yeah, so I kind of, I, I kind of try to help others in, in that sense. And and I like doing the, the public speaking and talking on, you know, relationship dynamics and abuse and stuff like that to try to educate people because I don't think we do enough to educate our youth and our children. And right. uh, they they grow up and, and they navigate this world, um, in my opinion, somewhat clueless <laughs> yeah. and they're 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 out and, and they're navigating it based off of their upbringing and if their upbringing or their their parents were abusive or there was abuse in the home then now they're carrying that into into their relationships exactly and so, so you know that's where i want to do is just educate others much needed resources so how do they find you if they need to find you what are your uh, well, website? you know, Ellis Maxwell is a pretty popular name out there. Uh, <laughs> for some, maybe it's faded away now. But, uh, <laughs> Ellis, you know, they can go to ellismaxwell.com and and they can uh, go from there and discover. Uh, you know, I, I admire you guys doing this podcast. I think it's great, um, and I look forward to to getting back into that. I, I did it for a short minute in 2019. Um, but, uh, I'll, I'll probably get back in there maybe next year. Uh-huh. Good luck with that. But, uh, but yeah, they can go there and. So they can also go to shieldbalance.com, right? Shieldbalance.com. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That works as well. And yeah. Well, thanks, Alice. We really appreciate you coming, um, being on our, as a guest today on our podcast. Um, your story, just dealing with that crazy case was quite interesting you know I, I enjoyed listening to it and learning all the ins and outs of the case um uh you know i had a high profile case that still hasn't gone finished in trial and stuff and so i i can relate to some of the things that that you went through as the as the lead detective and uh it was definitely challenging so uh, i commend you for doing your 20 years as a police officer and everything that you accomplished in all the different um, job duties that you did. Um, you know, congratulations on a good career and a job well done. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and uh, congrats to you being able to reach retirement and <laughs> escape that, that <laughs> escape that. And, uh, you know, and also serving in the military, kudos to that. I, there's no way I would have been able to do that. I do police work all day, and, uh, but not, not the military side. So yeah, 
uh, I appreciate it. And your wonderful wife, uh, you know, supporting you through your career and yeah. seeing the two of you sit here and, and converse and, um, you know, that's awesome. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Well, thank you again for being our, uh, our guest today. And I'd like to say a couple things to our audience. Um, if you're struggling uh, with whatever's going on in your life, from the job, from family to whatever it is, um, please reach out to somebody. The hardest part is the initial phone call um, or reaching out to somebody to say, hey, I, I need some help. Um, after that, it's it's easy. Um, and you can always con contact Under the Shield uh, on our 24-hour line at 855-889-2348. Uh, if you hit extension 1, you will get somebody. One of the stress coaches will answer. Just stay on the line because it will keep rolling to the next uh, available stress coach. So if it takes a little bit, that's fine. Uh, you can also hit um, extension 2 to speak to Susan directly. Extension 3 will get you directly to David Cohen, who's in Alabama running our team there. And extension four, you can get me directly. Um, you can also reach Susan on her cell phone at 334-324-3590. Um, on that, sorry, it's 3570. Um, if you want to talk to her, text her during the daytime because um, she's usually in session or at meetings or teaching. So um, text her. She'll get back with you. Uh, as soon as she's able to, you can call her in the evenings. She'll answer pretty much any time there. Uh, you can reach me by cell phone at 480-861-6574, and you can call or text anytime. Um, I want to thank all our officers, our first responders, fire, um, military, and our families that are out there, especially our families. You guys uh, have a tough thing to deal with your loved ones going off and doing these crazy jobs and not knowing what's going on and are they coming home and how is this day going to affect them? So um, we're here for you also. Um, reach out to us and we can put you in touch with somebody, a stress coach that uh, has your same experiences and can help you out. Um, so that's pretty much it for today. Um, come back and join us next week. Um, God bless you and God bless this nation and have a wonderful day.